from the anthropology like dining table of like birds peeking through the plates or whatever down to like being on a set and you know casting the right model and having her dressed by me makeup by me directed by me (laughs) wearing the jewelry I designed it just was one of the most eye-opening moments of my life having never been to college having ran away (laughs) after high school having worked worked retail and people telling me like oh I got a real job and I'm like okay great (laughs) sounds cool (laughs) things definitely just sort of like snowball into something if you care enough about the like little steps while you take them Hello and welcome to You Can Do It, Do It, a podcast about people whose lives are transformed by trying something new. Today, we're joined by Nadia, a visual merchandising manager at Anthropology and co-founder of Middleton, jewelry pieces made to be well-loved and worn often. My name is Nadia, and I am currently up to too many things. I work full-time, I freelance, and I it is one year into my jewelry company. Where do you work full-time? Anthropology. And what's your title there? I'm the visual merchandising manager. Visual merchandising manager. Yeah. So I arrange the things and make them beautiful. Inside the anthropology. Yes. That's pretty amazing. Now, has that been a long career path for you? I've been in retail since I was 17. And I just think that if you're going to do something, do it very well. And Mm. every experience is teaching you something. So I just kept going. And people were just like, you're doing a great job at it. So I just kept doing it. What was your progression in retail? Like, so you started it and you did it well. How did you move up from there? Yeah. So I started as a sales associate in the Providence Place Mall. And uh, I worked for Hollister, Mm. (laughs) which is embarrassing now. But at the time, I was very, (laughs) very very proud of that. Um, As a 17-year-old, I thought it was so cool. I wanted to dress a certain way in mm-hmm. high school and I wanted to be perceived a certain way. And that was the like fast track to having all of that and looking that way. Sure. So, Discounts and such. Yeah. <laughs> My parents would never p- pay for that kind of thing. I'm a perfectionist and I love to fold and I love to clean and I love to make things pretty. So I was there and it was cool, but then the next kind of thing was cool and I got sucked into the Levi's store that was across the hall and I thought all the people were really something else there it wasn't really quite the same vibe and they all thought I was like this goober (laughs) for lack of a better word (laughs) they were super annoyed by everything about me they thought I was this like like doe-eyed uh idiot oh my gosh yeah so I were you why were you interacting with the store across the way it was just is that just how stores? I, I never worked at the mall. Cool. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So you're going over there like, hey. I thought they were cool. I wanted to go yeah, see what they were the doing. Levi's crew. I was inspired by their vibe. It was a little okay. bit more like Providence. And mm. I was this little 18-year-old girl, like <laughs> just wanted to be cool. And so I just kept applying there and applying there. And they kept rolling their eyes at me. Finally, one day, the store manager like threw a handbook at me and was like like begrudgingly let me in to his very cool club of tattoos exclusive they were pretty mean to me honestly and so my natural feeling was to like be the best at this Mm. and then they'll all like 
respect me or appreciate me. So I was like so meticulous, so like perfect at folding and mm. selling and was like, I'm going to be the best. So I ended up becoming the store manager <laughs> by the time I was like 19 years old. Oh my gosh. So you and were the one throwing books at other people. Yeah. Point. So they totally 100% like I, I ended up just making everyone else look bad mm. and begrudgingly just – you know, position by position, the person who originally threw the book at me was just kind of like, you're going to be great. Uh, it really annoyed him because I was so annoying to him. He's still someone that I like still tell what I'm up to because I want him to think that I'm, I still want him to think I'm cool. But I was super motivated to just like learn as much as I could and do as much as I could. Through that, I learned about like selling and branding and scheduling and mm. finances and payroll and mm. you know the seasons or how fast they go when the buying happens how all those things are arranged and even though like I could have just been a loser in retail I was like collecting information for yeah. something that maybe was eventual I didn't know about I think that's a really interesting perspective because yeah I mean you know I, I think about a teenager in retail and I'm thinking like you're putting in the hours to make some dollars, get some discounts and stuff and get out of there. Like most teenagers go into that job and they're like, oh, next I'll do college, whatever. I don't need to learn anything here. But you actually like, like you said, you did like information gathering. You expanded your knowledge of it and actually learned a ton about business. I, I don't think about that necessarily being something you can glean from just working at a store in the mall or something. I think that people have to be motivated by necessity. I think unhappiness derives from being <laughs> too comfortable so I had run away from home and was working like three jobs and I was working there 40 hours and then I was like going to a restaurant and being a hostess at night and on the weekends I cleaned houses on Craigslist out of necessity I had to be great because there was no like oh I I'm done with college now I'll move back home it was a thing where I was I was already out on my own at 18 so through necessity, you either had to be great or you were just going to be nothing. I just decided to be really, really good at something that was even mediocre to me at the time. Well, I won't waste my time here. Let's so do something. Was survival that thing that said, like, I have to be good at this because otherwise I won't survive? Or was there another instinct kind of in you like that kind of paired with that to make it all kind of work? It was a lot to do with my friends and kind of taking a very different path from them. They were all in college. Mm. And I was the only one, kind of the lone wolf. I had moved to Providence, was living with these girls that were much older than me and completely skipping over what they were doing, Mm. skipping over the, like, summer camp feeling of growing up and just doing it. And so it was kind of like I didn't want to miss out on the things that they were going to eventually get to like ever having success or making new friends or things like that. So I just created my own version of that within wherever I was. Meeting a lot of people in Providence, networking, like always keeping my head up and making sure I was like making conversation with people, like being really, really present so that it could mean something to me later the way that it would if you were having a college experience and meeting a lot of friends or like being away from your family, just transitioning that to what it meant for me. Now, why Providence? Because I was already working in the mall. Yeah. Where um, were you before that? Where did you live before? Coventry. Moms? Oh, okay. Oh, so you're, Coventry. you're from Rhode Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> so my friends were at PC, yeah. Rick, 
You arrived. You spent four years while they were maybe messing around at college trying to figure out what it would be like to potentially grow up actually growing up and doing grown-up things like paying rent, finding an yeah. apartment, <laughs> all yeah. these crazy things. Yeah. And and so you had basically a four-year head start on everybody else who gets out of college. And I, I can't say that people didn't catch up, like seeing where they got or – um, who they met or what types of internships they got. Mm. So whether their talent or intellect matched what they were doing, they were having these opportunities that maybe I wouldn't have had. But at the same note, they hadn't experienced exactly the way I had done it. So it may be equal one day or maybe not. Yeah. We don't know like until it's over. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the opportunities you're given in college – well, A, you don't necessarily appreciate them the same way that you might having major opportunities, but also you just, I don't know, you're just like work stupid in a way that if you if you didn't have to sustain yourself, work three jobs, like really, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying I did that, but like I look back on my first few years after college, I'm just like, I was so stupid. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to be a professional. I didn't, like there were so many things I just didn't understand because in college, even doing internships, you just don't have to, you don't, you're not forced into that by necessity like you were. So yeah, it's, yeah, maybe you catch up after a while, but I don't know. It feels like a pretty important experience. Yeah. I, I don't have any debt. So. Well, that's great. <laughs> so when I look at those types of things, a lot of people in my full-time field all have degrees in merchandising or art degrees or liberal arts. And I don't have any of that and no debt. So I still consider it a success. <laughs> And that's really like the cash cow is having a full-time job that lets me do all of the other things that I've learned and picked up throughout the way. So from Levi's, what was the next jump? I went to Madewell. Um, So I was at Levi's for five years. Um, I was like the youngest store manager ever. (laughs) Um, That got me in a lot of trouble. They would like send me to San Francisco and there was a booze (laughs) cruise and they gave me drink tickets. And obviously I I was too much of a do-gooder but um later they were like you are serving champagne <laughs> there was a 19 year old girl in the hotel um i think hr wasn't aware of the situation it was like had never been done before so that caused a little bit of a controversy because they were like we didn't even know she was like so vocal she was so present like mm. how did we not pick up on the fact that there was literally a teenager right. in our conference room you know, at the Levi's headquarters. <laughs> so yeah. um, that was funny. Uh, and I enjoyed that a lot because it made me feel really successful at yeah. that point in time. Yeah. And I was being severely underpaid. So I wanted an adjustment to my salary, um, but I was still like a 21-year-old gal trying to speak my <laughs> – my truth and be like, this isn't fair. Right, right. Um, I'm doing a great job. And they were like, there's nothing we can do. Hmm. So I got a job at Madewell yeah. and stayed there for five years. Um, and I liked it there. And I, I learned a lot more about branding in a way that suited how I want to be sold to or more of an identity of a brand instead of this like huge umbrella of a brand. It's like so specific, but still like knew who it was. 
I learned a lot there. It wasn't quite the track that Levi's was where I felt so propelled, but I definitely felt more like I could identify like my personal style and who I was and what I think I wanted my next steps to be after that experience. In terms of brand is, um, is Madewell similar to J Crew or Gap where they have like a singular person who's kind of quote unquote responsible for the brand identity? So Madewell is under J Crew. So they're the same company. It was originally conceptualized under a women's brand using the identity of a menswear brand that was like kind of tomboy-ish looking and a little bit more of a vintage vibe. So that's something I've learned a lot of is being a part of that company for a long period of time. And from its like conception, when it was still very, very new, of how much it's changed and how like every year or two, people com- completely forget what happened two years ago. Where previously, I was like so enthused and such a fangirl for Levi's that it was, I felt like Levi's was always true to what it is. And that the history of it is so like specific to the time periods. You can like tell history by a pair of jeans. And I think that's crazy. Yeah. Time... Time and fashion move so quickly now that brands like Madewell, it's you can't even remember what happened a year ago or five years ago. It's it's gone. For that, it's kind of like there is no real identity. It's changing and growing the same way that like a person is growing up with the brand mm-hmm. and attracting new people all the time. And the way that you attract customers is so much quicker and you can lose them just as fast now. So right. It doesn't really have an identity. And I think that's what is like a trick in branding for people. Interesting. There's no overarching theme to it. I mean, you, you had mentioned like tomboyish and, and vintage. That's not there anymore. It's completely different or? Not really. No, it, it can like trick you into thinking that you still hold on to those values, but it's yeah. not at all. It's just button downs. It's just classic clothing. It's the same as the gap. They just, they've tricked you into believing it's for you. And that's what branding is. So you go in and you can see the exact same things, but it's being delivered in a different way. Yeah, like J. Crew's original, like when they they did the shop rebrand, they had had gone from a catalog store into actually like a clothing retailer, and then they had to flip the brand a little bit. But their initial like change was basically you could go into J. Crew and felt like one man owned every item of clothing in the store. It was like part of a unified wardrobe. Mm. And that like for me, right, when I was looking for my first professional wardrobe, knowing that I could go into a store and literally anything I bought would go with any other thing that I bought was totally freeing. Like I can do a good job. Yeah. Like I I can, I can dress myself. I can pick my own clothes and I don't have to be good at this to do it. It's like these pants are going to match these shirts always. And they've since kind of departed from that, which I actually like when I look at J crew now as, as the brand, I'm like, ah, they've, you know, moved on and I haven't moved with them. And that's essentially the lack of listening to who was growing with them. They just kept doing the same thing and not doing the same thing at the same time. (laughs) And you, you risk that every time you make a change when you hope that the people grow with you and they, and that your branding was like strong enough for someone to stick with you and still think that like when you go into Madewell, you could buy anything and you're going to be a cool girl. And a lot, the last few times I went in there, I was like, I feel like a boring girl. So I no longer find it to be like 
identifying with me. I think paying attention for me when I was in those arenas, same thing with anthropology, seeing why they're losing people and like them not, and them being a little tone deaf to it and still believing that the things that they're doing are correct and not willing to make the necessary changes. For me, when I decided to do something on my own, I was like, all right, I'm just going to learn and put into effect what people were unwilling to do on a larger scale. When you're so small, you can, you have that freedom. So wanting to do things like a little bit differently. And is this with the brand that you've been developing? Is it Middleton? It's a locational surname that is of Middletown or Middleton. And it's kind of the beautiful secret place between a more popular, densely populated place. So right near Newport is Middletown. In London, there's a Middletown uh, outside of outside of London. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just right outside, and it's usually more grassy and more simple, but it's never – it's kind of just a secret. Um, it's never boring. It's just beautiful. So I thought that it was a very nice way to say that I'm not going to have any bells or tricks or – it's not going to be highly trafficked. It's just going to be beautiful, and that's all I'll try to do. And I think that's the way I approach beauty and life and style and friendships is that it doesn't have to be crazy. It can just be quiet and nice and thoughtful. And if you have something really good, you don't have to change it every month or every year or every season. You can just offer the same things, make sure they're high quality, Make sure there's like a thought or identity behind it and then stick by it because that's what value and integrity is. So just do that. Nobody's doing that. (laughs) So I thought that the most basic idea could be something smart. The cult of products is like Mm -hmm. new, 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 right? Like we have to be innovating, coming out with new products regularly or people Mm -hmm. run out of things to buy and spend money on. Mm -hmm. But you're kind of looking at, kind of an opposed approach that says, well, we offer a few great things of quality. Yeah. And that's the focus and we'll find the people. Yeah. Yeah. There's enough people in America. (laughs) If one person, (laughs) if one person in every town bought something, (laughs) I'd be fine. (laughs) (laughs) How do you find the right customer for your business? Like who's the customer for your business? I think it's the same way you find friends, people who like you and want the thing that you're offering will show up. I mean, Instagram is free, so that's great. We kind of started there, and then we went to doing shows for wholesale markets. I've made a very strong case to not be in wholesale in New England just because I don't want to be the Middleton girl. Same way, quiet (laughs) and simple and kind of, just a little bit of a way before it comes back to me and in my living environment. So you mean that you try to do wholesale outside of New England? So you're, you're open to wholesale. It's just you don't want to yes. be inundated by it locally. Yeah. Okay. So e-commerce is where I would direct close friends. Um, everything else is quietly kept out of this 
like arena and just because I see how like local businesses are and it's just like that's that's this girl she does this and I just want to be similar with my brand I just want to kind of be quiet about it and I think anything when you talk about something too much it feels like it's already done and I I think that it hasn't even like gotten started so letting when we're marketing towards you know the other side of the country you have the opportunity to find the identity and see where you need to go and make those improvements before it touches back over here. Yeah. And that's not to say I'm not proud of what it is now, but I believe I'll be somebody different next year. Mm. Not entirely. I believe I'll be exactly the same, but I may have learned something new. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask like, <laughs> I actually, <laughs> so funny story. I have a 19 year old friend who works with me and she is so smart and so brilliant and so beautiful. And the the concerns that she has now are so valid. And a coworker of mine was like, she's going to change so much in the next 10 years. I, like, I don't think so. I think mm. that she's going to stay the same. She's just going to learn some things. And, like, she's going to have different circumstances. But I, I believe she is, like, this, you know, beautiful soul. And she already is who she is. And the coworker argued with me. He's like... No, you've changed so much, I'm sure of it. And so it's like, all right, we're going to do a test. So I write, did you guys have a live journal? I still have it and I still write in it. Whoa. So I thought, you know what? Let's go to my live journal and we'll look at the closest day and let's see what I said exactly 10 years ago. And I said, I've never changed. I'm the same. No way. <laughs> 10 said, years ago? 10 years ago. So we were having an argument. Yeah. Over whether or not I've changed. And that's what I said, which really made the argument so perfect. Um, I love <laughs> winning arguments. Yeah. So I I tend to look back exactly at the same time from the time I was like 15 years old. I think I started it. I can look back and see what I said every year around the same time. And if I was like feeling a similar way or going through something similar, I can like go back in time a little bit and learn from myself, which is super funny. Yeah. Thanks, Live Journal. Um, <laughs> I do believe that I will learn, but I don't think that I'll really change. And I think that once the business gets its way back to here, I will be in a position where I'm like truly, truly in a better position to like really identify myself with it and say, I'm Nadia, this is Middleton, but we'll see. Does it feel weird to be talking about it now, knowing that it hasn't come back yet? No. No. Why is that? Because I'm not trying to say what it will do. If I was like, I'm going to do this and we're doing this, I think then I would feel like my talk was cheap. But really it's just the the brand and the idea of it that I'm proud of today. So um, what does Middleton sell? Jewelry and accessories. Uh, so it's all brass. Uh, right now we only have necklaces, earrings, and bracelets. And then we just made vegetable dyed wallets. Hmm. And then we did a collaboration with a Providence um, girl, Hope and Balance. So she made macrame keychains. Oh, awesome. She was already making keychains. So we produced keychain fobs for her to crochet off of. Yeah. And I think that is important to me that 
if I am here, that's kind of the only thing I will do is support artists here. And in terms of the process, are you designing the, the molds and the, the shapes of the jewelry or? Yes. Yeah. So I designed the jewelry. Um, did you know you could do this? N- no. Yes, I did. But I didn't at the same <laughs> time. My mother is a jewelry designer. Um, she did not know about this yeah. until it was already done. And she was not happy. She wasn't not happy. She wasn't happy you didn't talk to her about it? I think she was like, you didn't ask for any advice or anything. And I don't usually do that. So I had a good time uh, being like, well, yeah, it's already done. And I did it. And there's boxes and there's a website and there's packaging and there's, you know, photo shoots. And these things sort of all just were the things that she didn't necessarily have the opportunity to do. She went to school for metalworking and um, jewelry design and costume design. So these were things that she was doing by hand. Um, The technology today doesn't require you to do that. So all of her like insanely intricate know-how is completely lost on me and it doesn't it's, it's kind of lost in the industry as well. For production, it is overseas. And I think that being like ethically overseas was important to me and my business partner. But trying to have what we were creating made here was very poorly done, which was really sad to yep. find mm-hmm. out. Yeah. You couldn't like trust it. <laughs> it wasn't being done on time. So the efforts to be in that arena just did not work out. But yeah. um, And I... We've got a few friends who try to manufacture her in the States. It's and insane it's, how it's much trouble they have. Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily the cost that was the issue. Yeah. It was that we were Expertise. making Yeah, quality. we were making yeah. a simple like toggle and they we designed specific measurements and the toggles all fell out because they didn't like make them long enough for the circle. It's like a stick that goes through. <laughs> it was kind of just like we ended up sending everything back, having the pieces all taken away, and then we sent pieces of the jewelry overseas to our other manufacturers who we were making. We tried to kind of split it up. Anything yeah. we could make here, we did. And then, honestly, the things were falling apart, and we just – the prototypes weren't even coming back, right? Not Jeez. even just, you know, the major orders where you can't – necessarily if you can't trust the prototype you can't trust when you make 500 of something I didn't know for sure I could do it until a piece came back and I tried it on I was like holy holy moly (laughs) I made that (laughs) that's crazy so what were you what were you doing it made well and then you from there you progressed to where you are now or I was the HR manager and then I was the visual manager and then anthropology um scouted me out and I became the visual manager there, which is um, kind of like the, you know, visual merchandising mecca. It's where you do all the most beautiful things. It's the most creative. It's the most, uh, like it's an open forum. Mm. At Anthro specifically? Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize that when you walk into that store that there is a person in that store who creates all of those beautiful installations and so there's a full-time artist making things by hand building furniture by hand not just assembling it like west elm but truly like this girl built this like 10 foot tree 
that stretches like 20 feet wide and hand dyed all the leaves. And, and I'm the one who goes like, put the tree here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I arrange the furniture and I, you know, put the outfits together and build the walls and things like that. So having that creative outlet and being able to do those types of things, definitely keep my brain like moving at all times. I'm not really inspired by clothing. I'm kind of like, I just want a pair of like old jeans and a white t-shirt and I don't really need anything else. Um, So playing around with things in that space definitely give me like ideas for what's missing. (laughs) And I love the home stuff. So just like have fun playing. It's like playing house, honestly, all day. It's like setting a table. and The thing that always strikes me about stores like that, like Anthropology, West Elm, like any kind of combination stores, like home stores with other things in them is like there's an element, you know, like, you know, we're, we're sitting at my dining room table, right? And it's a fixed amount of chairs. I'm never going to have 12 dining room tables in my house. Never say never. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We don't know. <laughs> Knowing Kelsey. You'll be the might. same person, but you'll have a different, enormous house. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> one for each month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like at, at places like that, you're, you're literally setting 12 different tables or, you know, you're not just going to have like one of each plate at the table. Sometimes you actually like will use the table to stage an entirely different scene. And that's always something that amazes me walking into those stores that it's not, it's not kind of putting things together for the sake of like, oh, we just, we have a bunch of glasses that need to go here. Like mm-hmm. there's thought, care, consideration, and concern to each kind of room or scene the question that i have is like what on earth like how how is your mind different than mine in a way that allows you to to, to do that well that's how i feel about uh coding <laughs> um my business partner like builds the website he fixes things he puts things the way they should be i'm like i can't i just can't be bothered <laughs> uh, it's too many little things where I just know where I want it to go. Um, He is a mathematical thinker and a logical thinker, and I'm more of like I just see things before they exist. So in my brain, I want to fix it or make it beautiful, and the only way I can do that is to just imagine them all (laughs) moving. So when I see a messy house, I think about straightening the pillows. When I see a lawn with, like, you know, a messy yard, I, like, want to mow the lawn. It's just – I think I'm just motivated physically and mentally to make it prettier than it was before. But you see the difference between the way that it is now and what it could be, though. Yeah. I'm an organizational person. My brain just wants to make sense of things. And then – and then I want it to be beautiful, form and function <laughs> quite a bit. But when I went to anthropology, it was very much like, how is it going to be like organic like that when I'm a methodical? I want things to be beautiful, like like when you cut a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and the bread kind of squishes together. Right. And if it doesn't, it's like not as good. Are you a triangle <laughs> person or a... Triangles, yeah. yeah. But it's like it just has to be perfectly right where like, you know, when they like rip the grilled cheese apart in the commercials, I'm like, no, (laughs) you ruined it. (laughs) I don't want things to be like that. I want it to be cut. So when I went to anthropology, I learned a lot about having to see things in a different way and then trying something else. And that happened a lot with Middleton when I had to 
let go of it being so perfect. I wanted, I didn't want to release anything until I had everything figured out. Like letting things be a little bit more organic and letting things like kind of open up as you went. And that's kind of what happens at anthropology when you like set this huge dining room table with all these stacks of dishes and there's like weird paper birds <laughs> popping out of it. Those things happen as it's happening. They don't happen in my brain ahead of time. I'm not like drawing this picture. I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this bird was like flying over the table? This actually did happen. <laughs> so um, we made these paper birds. But it really started to like open up as it was being hung up and it's a collaborative effort that you know my display coordinator is hanging these birds I'm like okay I need it to dip a little lower I need the weight to come here and then you kind of arrange it like you look at a photograph is it balanced is it yeah is it clean is it drawing your eye up is it low to high and you start to make math out of it Mm. or like you can see something that's organic and then you can figure out exactly why it's working and then make a formula out of it for whatever reason, that's not really how the other visual managers operate. They're like, let's just do it and see what happens. I'm like, no, <laughs> let's perfectly plan it um, and then it'll be fine. Do you have control over a particular store or do yes. you manage a bunch of stores? So just the Cranston store. Okay. So we do the floor plan there. It's a very strange process, but it's taught me a lot about my patience and my inability to compromise. (laughs) And it's definitely made me a more aware business partner with my business partner who does not think like me at all on any (laughs) spectrum. It seems like everything you do is in a way creative. Mm -hmm. So is that uh, exhausting sometimes or is that actually energizing for you to be? No, I love it. Yeah, in a creative space all the time. Yeah, so I've been on every end of every project so I do freelance photography I do freelance um social media management I do um freelance styling I rent my apartment out for photo shoots so I've been where the stage is being set I've been the one setting the stage I've been behind the camera I've been in front of the camera Um, I've been the director, the producer, (laughs) the casting director. Um, So people are like, so you're a photographer? Um, No, people thought I was a photographer because my Instagram was so curated. Mm. And people started asking me to do things. I was like, okay, well, I think it's time to buy a camera. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just started taking pictures um, and using a professional camera. And people were like, wow, that's really beautiful. I don't know how to edit (laughs) because, and then I realized that I'm, if I just do it in perfect lighting every time. um, That is the secret actually to taking good photos is just, if you have to, yeah, just take a good photo. Um, and that is, is such a controlled environment. So if someone tells you, Hey, come do family photos, we're going to be in our, you know, aunt's banquet hall. I'm like, Nope, not doing that. It's not going to, I'm just not doing it. Um, if someone's like, Hey, what if we go out around, you know, golden hour and we shoot this under this tree? I'm like, that sounds like something I could do. That sounds like a plan. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) There's been like major brands who have done photo shoots and major shoots in my house. There's been shoots that I 
conceptualized and directed in my house, um, from videography to stills, working with a videographer who's super, super talented, and then just seeing what we could make together, honestly, gave me this next feeling of confidence that, like, my vision was something that other people don't have. And I kept learning that in, like, little spurts of having this, like, what went from having, like, know-how-to at Levi's Um, just being really eager to just straight up having a vision and wanting things to be like beautiful. It ended up kind of opening up so many other doors where people started to just be like, we want your help. Hmm. So the creative director of Alex Nani used to come into Madewell and like, she's the one who decides how things are being seen for, you know, one of the biggest jewelry brands in, I don't know, the world. And she wanted me to help her get dressed, (laughs) which was kind of a fun thing. It was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm styling this person who otherwise has control over everyone else being styled, Um, entire photo shoots and national campaigns being styled. And this is something that people like when they step outside of themselves and their creativity, they need help. And I was like, you know, I feel if she trusts me, then I should trust myself. Then I've done styling for them I did I ended up doing like modeling for them I did air quotes and yeah it was kind of just letting myself be on a photo shoot let me see like what people needed out of a photographer and what people needed out of a model so then when I had my shoot for Middleton I knew exactly what I wanted my vision was so clear and I have no idea how I didn't it was actually like magical when I saw my branding video come back to me because it was like came out of my brain and all of those little things in these like minute circumstances gave me know-how somehow to like facilitate what was in my head and to make it happen so from the anthropology like dining table of like birds peeking through the plates or whatever down to like being on a set and you know, casting the right model and having her dressed by me, makeup by me, directed by me, (laughs) wearing the jewelry I designed. It just was one of the most eye-opening moments of my life, having never been to college, having ran away (laughs) after high school, having worked, worked retail and people telling me like, oh, I got a real job. And I'm like, okay, great. (laughs) Sounds cool. (laughs) Things definitely just sort of like snowball into something if you care enough about the like little steps while you take them. You tried a ton of different aspects of the realm of what you do in small ways and it all culminated into something that was actually really beneficial. Yeah. I, I mean, I've definitely seen that for myself a lot of times and it's it, it's not always intentional. It didn't sound like a lot of it was really intentional for you. It was just like, oh, it's another creative outlet, another creative outlet. But you've experienced so many things. It's given you like this vision, which is pretty powerful. And it also allowed me to do things on my own where I've helped other brands do things that they couldn't do all on their own. So I manage a brand's social media, but I manage theirs and mine. So I'm like, what stops you from being able to do all of yours? Them hiring me as a photographer to do their branding and all their social media content. I'm like, buy a camera. (laughs) What's so hard about that? And I I did quickly learn that 
people with like a strong business mind don't always have all of those um, those visions for themselves and they definitely need those like creative vibes which is why I have to have my like mathematical business partner (laughs) knowing who to ask help from and knowing when to not talk about things I think like small business people are really vocal about their struggles like oh when I can afford this like we'll definitely ask for like like a better photographer or when like these are my prices because of this and I have a few friends who like will feel like attacked by being a small business owner and feel like they need to explain themselves I think having this like quiet confidence to just just keep going and not have to answer any questions and people again who are going to like you are going to um people who don't they don't have to um you can move on you can learn and i i definitely feel like it's hard to answer to those things when you want to prove yourself really badly but you should just like keep it keep it down low and keep your head up and just work super hard and keep learning stuff and you'll be fine there's an obvious entrepreneurial thread through everything you do i mean the the jewelry stuff that you're doing that is an entrepreneurial venture. Uh, why do you keep doing anthro? You know, why not yeah. like dive into everything else, doing the freelance, doing the business? Um, I think that being freelance is very scary when you are single <laughs> um, and don't have any backup plan. Mm. So I'm 30 and I'll be 31 in September. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing as much as you can for as long as you can until things sort of come together. That might mean that in a few years I'll be somewhere completely else. And this kind of feels like my running start. Um, So I'll be doing as much as I can in every hour until I don't have to. Mm -hmm. And the goal isn't to be rich. (laughs) Of course, yeah. (laughs) The goal is to just... Do something I'm very proud of that fulfills me maybe in just like one whole thing. And so that's the birth of Middleton. August 30th of 2018 was the day I launched. So I'm almost at one year. What we were able to accomplish in one year is more than I thought I could ever accomplish. In 10 years, I don't know what that looks like for me, but I I hope that's something that can encompass all of the things that I've learned and be able to do my own photography and work with amazing photographers and work with beautiful, like interesting people and collaborate with more people. But that would have to just like kind of happen organically and open itself up as, as I learn more and meet new people and things like that. It gives you a creative outlet, but it also gives you a stable place to lean on while you're focusing on this work as well, which totally makes sense. It's I wasn't, stable. it wasn't an attack. It was no, more just totally. like an interest. I've been asked a, that a lot and it's, it's stable and it is fulfilling. Like I feel challenged. I feel excited about it. I love all of the people that I work with so much that it's, it almost feels like kind of just going and hanging out with your friends a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. <laughs> this morning I was like moving like 60 boxes of clothing and glassware and I literally wanted to just like like go jump in a pool or something um (laughs) but it's hard work and I feel very satisfied by it and so when I do I did a photo shoot last Thursday um and I felt like excited 
Um, and I think that that's something I still want to hold on to of having this like very diverse range of things that I'm accomplishing from week to week. It's like yeah. I can do all of it. Um, for as long as I can do all of it, I'll be doing all of it. You know, there's probably a tipping point you would get to with any business. Like with we interviewed uh, Lori from PV Donuts and they they kind of like, you know, for them, it was like a, a bit of a skyrocket at one point, but they were doing a lot of other things. She was doing a lot of other things. And it was just like, I need to either like stop doing the donut thing or just like go full force into it. And maybe that's, a, I mean, that's probably a point you'll hit where you're just like, I can't do both anymore. So right. I have to make a choice. But right now you can, you can do that balance. Yeah. And I think that the concept of Middleton is very much um, kind of an autopilot situation. So it's still in the process of the things that we sold, like we created in the last year of, of being wholesaled. So there's no rush to create more inventory. It's already done. Mm. And it's, I have a very firm stance on not creating more trash. <laughs> it's part of your model is to not just like constantly come out with. Yeah. So I want every single thing I made to be worn and I want it to be worn until it falls apart because <laughs> that's what things do and that's okay. Um, and just to be like very worn out and kind of just be on you every day. And I think that it's not hard work after you make something beautiful. <laughs> it kind of just does what it's going to do. Does it um, bother you at all being involved in an industry that sort of uh, yes. preys on, <laughs> on like what you're talking, you know, about how like it took you time to realize this about yourself. I mean, you know where I'm going with this, that like yeah. they want that insecure younger teenager to want to be cool and to want to buy those things and to be consumed by that. Yeah. For sure. When I was choosing a model for Middleton. I was, I, I didn't want what I've always told myself was better. And I, you know, chose a girl who I found insanely beautiful in like this, such a pure way. And I was like, she's perfect. (laughs) Just, you have to trust me that she's this like pure beauty that goes beyond what, I've ever seen in an ad ever. And I want to take what I wasn't capable of seeing as a younger person. The first time I saw a girl with hair as dark as mine was Adriana Lima. She's a Victoria's Secret model. It's actually like, she's insanely, ridiculously beautiful, but it was just bizarre. So to kind of never be that, and then never see that and never be shown that it was beautiful. So that was really, really important to me when I built the brand and that there was no upkeep. So you didn't have to keep up with anything happening. Um, It just was. Um, It does bother me that brands just keep pumping out garbage. It makes me feel like, crummy about my job. I'm like, you don't need these things. Yeah. <laughs> it's very Dr. Seuss. Um, yeah, I, I literally work in a, in the needs business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, it's, it's taught me so much about what is unnecessary. So mm. I am a pure minimalist. It is not a fad 
It is not my style. It's my way of life. I wear my clothes until they full-blown fall apart. Um, I have almost no furniture. <laughs> um, I live a very, very simple life outside of consistently being busy. One of the things that I've appreciated about our conversation is that you have never shied away from this entire time from saying, I'm good at this, mm. right? Like, I think people have that weird thing in them that, that like is bothered by other people when they're better at something or good at something that they don't have. And so I think a lot of people as a result of that have this reflex of like being like, well, I don't want to like brag, <laughs> but I'm really good at X. The way that you approach it, though, is I'm good at that. Yeah. Like, that's sort of like frank, matter of fact. Have you always been that way? So this is a fun thing. Um, I'm. It took me 30 years <laughs> to be that way. Um, I was very, very quiet growing up. I could read very early, so I was a little bit of a bragger when I was a kid. I was like, I can read because, you know, <laughs> that was king. Right. And they couldn't. And I had a lot of, you know, brothers and – well, one brother and a lot of sisters. And they didn't quite get things as fast as I did. So in school, I was very confident until I didn't want to do the stuff anymore. Um, I sort of felt like stifled um, and annoyed. And so I just sort of stayed quiet and I listened a lot and I learned a lot and I don't want to chalk it up to being a girl, but <laughs> being a woman, I just wanted to be seen a certain way. I didn't really know if I wanted anyone to know what I could do. I just wanted to be pretty. Hmm. I just wanted to be cool. I wanted to listen to the cool music. I wanted to have the right jeans and that's what put me in retail is being like so consumed by what people were perceiving me as. And I just let them think whatever they wanted to think. So when the people at Levi's thought I was this dumb little girl, I was actually like living in my car and they thought I was this like cute little whatever who probably like got whatever I wanted. And mm. It just wasn't the truth, but it was trying to get to be perceived a certain way. Um, and it's pretty much where all of my focus was and I ignored all the things I was capable of. I think I've always struggled a lot with like how people see me and what is actually in there. And so one group is like, she's cocky. She thinks she's great at everything. And the other group is like, I've never met a person more hard on themselves. Huh. So it's really just, it depends on what it is. I think being like in your body and being confident about what you're saying and how people are receiving you is like so different. So when I know that all that people can do right now is hear me, <laughs> mm. I'm like, I'm good at that. <laughs> uh, but it's this, it's this weird toss up that honestly took me 30 years to say like, who cares? Who cares what how people see you? Just let them like know you. Let them like see what you're about. Um, and then if you're appreciating other people and listening to other people and really seeing people for who they are, then those people will see you for who you are instead of like, uh, you know, a cool girl who wears the cool clothes and, you know, is at the cool show. <laughs> but learning enough about yourself to be okay with 
letting people know who you are and what you're capable of and being confident in that. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you so, you so much. much for coming on. Nadia. Yeah, this awesome. is great. Anytime. All right. <laughs> Next week. Yeah, next week. We'll just talk about my stand-up next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know oh, the like, <laughs> But that was a cool joke, yeah, though, right? Yeah, like, that was a good joke. That was a good one. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to You Can Do It, Do It. If you're curious what else Nadia is up to, visit youcandoitdoit.com. If you love You Can Do It, Do It and want to support it, you can, of course, go to our Patreon page and become a patron or a sponsor of the show. It's super generous, and we really appreciate you for doing that. Uh, if that's not your jam, uh, we'd love if you could share the show with friends, family, and anyone else who will listen. As always, thanks again to Night Swim for the use of their song Fiji as the theme song for the show. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find great music. Thanks again, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.